Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. So this is the second session, uh, second class that we have on um, women's status in, in Jewish literature. We spoke briefly last time about Tanakh. And now um, we're going to go into Mishnah. So I prepared a source sheet, basically going through the Masechtot. I'm halfway, because I'm now in Seder Nashim, there's a lot of, a lot of Mishnayot, but there's enough material to, uh, to look at now. Um, one second, let's share the screen. And here, okay, this is, this is the text that we have, it's in Sefer, on, on Sepharia. Um, and we'll start with Masechet Brachot the coming to Masechet Brachot the, uh, the intriguing thing is that that um, we don't really have that much material in Masechet Brachot about women you would have thought that we have more one second, recording to God. Okay, um, we, we would have thought that you had much more material in, for at least in Masechet Brachot uh, that mentions women, but we have very, very little there. Uh, this, all the all the references are done in the default um, language, which is masculine, and we have in all of Masechet Brachot only three Mishnayot that speak about women, <clears throat> and in the first two. The women are grouped in um, a group that is not uh, not very respectful to women. The famous uh, grouping that we also find in the Talmud in many discussions: Nashim va'avadim uktanim, peturim ikirat shema min atefilin, v'hayavim bitfila uvimzuzah uvirkat amazon. Women, slaves, and minors are exempt from reciting shema and from tefilin, and are obligated in reciting shemun esrei. And in fixing a mezuzah and reciting Birkat Amazon. So, uh, in general, the discussion of this Mishnah is not um, in the Talmud, it's not in Masechet Barachot, uh, it's more in Masechet Kiddushin. And, and there, the Talmud tries to figure out why, why is it that women are exempt from Kirat Shema and from the Tfilin. And that's a discussion by itself. But, um, it seems as if the uh, the exemption, the the famous rule of nashim p'turot mitzvot graman that women are exempt from mitzvot which depend on time, it's a rule that was created post facto. Meaning, first, the 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 rules were made on what women should or should not do, and then someone looked at all the assembled laws of where women are exempt or obligated and said, you know what, I think that is the rule, that women are exempt from its vote which are dependent on time. And I'm saying that because in the Talmud, when they discuss that, they bring a lot of exemptions and and they explain each and every one of the exemptions. When you have so many exemptions of the rule, it means that the rule is not really valid. So, the reason um, in the the Gemara and Kiddushin why women are exempt from Kirat Shema and Tfilin, is, uh, is derived from the Psukim in Kirat Shema, So the, everything is written in the masculine. So if, uh, and they say, if you're obligated to teach Torah, or to learn Torah, then you're also obligated in this. And since you're a woman, a woman is not obligated to study Torah, so she's also exempt from Kirat Shema and Tfilin. But the question is, why mezuzah? Mezuzah also appears in that parasha. So the argument of the Gemara there is that the Torah concludes parasha Shema by saying, right? So you will have long life. And so the Gemara says, 
The women also want long life. So therefore, they're... Uh, Obligated to have the mezuzah <coughs> because the the fulfilling of the mezuzah grants long life. The problem with this argument is that the pasuk refers to the whole paragraph. So if the argument is that everybody deserves long life, then it should really apply to all the mitzvot prior to that. But uh, that, as I said, it's a different discussion. Maybe we'll go more in, in depth when we go when we get to the Talmud. And what I wanted to show here is how women are phrased um, or described in the uh, in the Mishnah. They are grouped with avadim uktanim, nashim va'avadim uktanim. So we have this um, this group of of people that what they have in common. It seems that what the the Mishnah attributes to them as having in common is that they. Uh, are not fully responsible or um, independent. Nashim depend on their husbands, avadim depend on their masters, ktanim, minors depend on their parents. So <clears throat> by, by putting them in this group, the, the Mishnah conveys a message of women as, being, as uh, being of an inferior rank to, uh, to men in general. The reason why Birkat uh, Amazon is an obligation, apparently that should also be an exemption, Birkat Amazon, because it's written in the masculine, but because it does not depend on time, the Talmud uh, concludes that women are also obligated. Uh, tefillah is in itself a question whether it's an obligation with the Rabbanan or with the Raita, according to Rambam, it's a it's a huge midoraita. According to Ramban, it's only it's only rabbinical. So here also we should raise a question: Who decided that women are obligated to pray? Um, if it is a uh, a rabbinical obligation, why did they include them in that? Anyway, that's just the point of how women are uh, framed in the Mishnah, and the same thing we see in Mish- in uh, chapter seven Mishnah Bet. And then they ask, So we, we read here, Women, slaves, and children cannot be convened for Zimun. Meaning if you need three people to say Zimun, uh, Zimun for, to uh, invite, what is a Zimun really? The Zimun is inviting people to say, Who decided that women are not included in the hazmana. It, it logically doesn't make sense. You would say uh, people, adult people, set to eat together, and they are now about to say berkat amazon. And we said previously in chapter three, Mishnah three, Gimel Gimel, we said nashim hayavin all these hayavin amazon. So if women are obligated to say berkat amazon, why can't you invite them? Right, summon them to say Birkat Amazon with you. <coughs> the answer that the Gemara gives is that you need de'ot, and there's not de- there's not uh, women don't have enough da'at, enough wisdom, which is again uh, a degrading view of women. And I think I personally believe that the reason that women were uh, excluded from the zimun is not because they lack the that the rabbi thought that they lack the capacity to to say the bracha correctly or to understand who you're saying to the bracha for that that would really be far fetched because the rabbi said that the minimum requirement of berkat amazon is berich rahamana mare dehai pita that's it all the minimum that you have to say for berkat amazon is blessed be god who gave us this bread and it was said even in aramaic so there would not be a person who couldn't say Birkat Amazon. Rather, it seems that this is part of the exclusion of women is not belonging in the, the public arena. The men sit together and eat, and the women are, exclu- are excluded. They're not part of the, uh, of the group. Uh, you, you might have thought that we, had, we would have a reference to Birkat Shahar in the Mishnah, 
but they are not mentioned in the Mishnah. This is uh, the compilation of Rikat HaShahar is found in the Talmud. So the brachot that uh, the three famous brachot that put down women are not mentioned in the uh, in the Mishnah. Um, it was proven long ago that uh, I think beyond doubt, and we could review it later when we when we discuss women's sex in the Mish- in the Talmud, that the, um, those brachot come from a non-Jewish source, from a Greek source. The um, um, the brachot birkot as I said, is uh, is um, is a later. The later compilation and the and the three brachot themselves are uh, later influenced, but they have something in common, which is those two things: the zimun, the zimun, and the three brachot the, the, of Nisha, which I personally have not been saying for the last twenty years. Since I found out, I always felt uncomfortable with it, but since I found out that this brachot, the brachot, come from a, a Greek source that uh, the Greek philosophers used to say them, it made sense to me that they don't really belong uh, in, in the context of the tefillah. There are different opinions. Some say Sha'asani Kirtsono for both men and women. Some say that you could say Sha'asani Israeli, and we have versions like that. However, I think that to say Sha'asani Sha'a is, uh, is uh, offensive and uh, detrimental to the... Um, to the well-being and harmony of our society. Why? Because even if you have a home where everybody understands the importance of women and equality and uh, we reject discrimination and hadarat nashim, the exclusion of women, etc., etc., right? But then the the boys in the household say every morning, this drills into their minds the idea that they are superior to women. And I actually did this exercise with one of my, this uh, sort of test with one of my kids uh, years ago. I asked him, what do you think when you say, Shalom Asanisha? And and that given our education at home, as I said, very, very uh, egalitarian in a way and and modern and open-minded. And he said, uh, you know, that men are better than women. I said, really, you think that you are better than your mother? She's educated, she has a college degree, she speaks four or five languages, she's educated, she works for a living, She's and and you are a kid in, uh, I don't know, seventh, eighth grade, you think that boys, all, all boys are better, all men are better than all women? That's this, the, the direct or indirect message that is ingrained into their mind. Now think about Zimun, what happened in Zimun. You sit around the table, two men and a woman, Right, let's say the father, an older brother, and the mother. The 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 oldest son is just just turned thirteen. Um, you say, can we have a zimun? No, we cannot cannot have a zimun. Why? Because we're only two men um, and one woman. Not good enough. Then there's another younger boy. According to halacha, you could uh, you could count on a on a third person, even a minor, to uh, for for zimun. Or if someone is misunod, but let's say a minor, right, uh, older than nine nine years, if he knows uh, if he knows who you're saying the for, or you know what, let's not say a minor. Let's say even we wait for the next boy to be bar mitzvah. So for several years now, the the father and the older brother would not say a zimun because only the mother is there. But the day the younger brother turned thirteen, all of a sudden they're saying a zimun. What does that say to the children about their mother that she doesn't count? That's a huge problem. So this halakha should be reassessed and ask, and we should ask ourselves because it's explained in the Talmud as uh, lack of da'at, lack of da'at, or you know either uh, independence or or wisdom. We should really ask how do we deal with this with this halakha. Anyway, we continue to Mishnah Barachot Tet Gimel, chapter nine, Mishnah three. Are like okay, so as I said, we, our Mishnah is Brachotet Gimel, and let's see what what is the problem with this Mishnah. Bana bait hadash vekana kelim hadashim, Omer Baruch Shehayanu. When you build a new house or you buy a new garment, uh, you say Shehayanu. Mevarech ala ra'ah me'ena tova ve'ala tova me'ena ra'ah. 
you also say a blessing for something which uh, looks good but is but is uh, not good and vice versa. Okay, Hatzorek leshavar harei zot efilat shav. If one prays for something that already happened that it cannot be changed, it's uh, this tefillah is in vain. How so? Haytai shto meuberet veamar yehi ratzon sheteled dishti zachar harei zot efilat shav. One's wife is pregnant, and he prays, may, may it be the will of God that my wife will give birth to a baby boy. This tefillah is in vain. So, there are two things here. One is the obvious, that uh, we see that the man prays for a zakhar. He wants to have a baby boy, another baby girl. Um, so... Uh, Obviously, they think that that boys are better than girls, and it's not only here. It's all over the Talmud. When they say that a woman was blessed, they said, for example, with the Isha Sota, after they, she drank the water, if she didn't sin, they say, Like up until now, she only had girls. Now she's going to have boys, and so on. But there's another thing here that is implicit, and that is, right? He, the the woman here is just the the vessel she's just carrying the children he is the one praying this same thing could have been phrased let's say that we believe that that boys are better than the girls ketzad why is that not a possibility that why why are we not thinking about a woman praying if if you think that the boys are better than girls why are we not thinking about a woman praying to have a baby boy? So here is an implicit message that the woman doesn't really count. She's just uh, she's just the, the one who carries the baby for the man. So that's Masechet Brachot. We're going to Masechet Shabbat. A famous Mishnah that is read every Friday night in the synagogue as part of the chapter of Memad Likin. Chapter 2, Mishnah Vav. So, uh, the Mishnah says that women die in childbirth for three transgressions, for not being careful with the laws of Nida, with the laws of Hala, and with lighting the candle of Shabbat. Now, this is a very harsh statement. The, there, is, there is an agenda behind that, which we have to understand, and uh, the agenda is that the, especially about Shabbat candles. That's why Mishnah appears in in uh, in Bavemad Likin and not as part of the laws of Hala or the laws of Nida. The uh, the rabbis had a led a campaign to create the uh, the nature or the. Uh, the we would say even the personality or atmosphere of Friday night. Friday night today is is really a rabbinic creation. And of course, this is what the Torah wanted. The Torah wanted us to rest from the beginning of Shabbat, which is at nighttime, sunset, uh, until the following night. But up until rabbinic period, nothing much happened on Friday night. People would come home from work. They would work till the last minute, just like the men who work in the city hop on the subway and get home less minute before Shabbat. That's how it used to be. People worked in the fields, and there are many uh, testimonies about that in the Talmud and the Mishnah, and they would come home last minute, go to sleep, or maybe would grab something to eat and go to sleep. The rabbis created the idea of Kiddush on the wine. There was no Kiddush with wine. Uh, they also uh, insisted on the importance of lighting Shabbat candles. And as a... Uh, uh, as a way to market the that idea of lighting Shabbat candles, which was not a simple thing because the the oil for the lamps was expensive. That's why we have a list of oils in in Masechet Shabbat in Perek Bet because this not not everybody could afford olive oil. There's actually a discussion in the Gemara where Rabbi Tarfon says about he actually says in the Mishnah, Rabbi Tarfon Omer Enad Likin Ela B'Shem Zayit Bilvad. Right, you could only light with olive oil, and the other rabbis tell him. It's easy for you to say, you're wealthy, you could afford olive oil. So the idea that you're going to leave a lamp burning throughout the night or for a couple of hours, uh, that was not a common thing. And the rabbis instituted that. 
And they really succeeded in creating this beautiful atmosphere of Friday night. We come together, we sit around the table, we eat uh, lit candles, and today we have electricity. All good. Um, in order to market, it had to be given uh, extreme importance. And the way that it was given importance is by creating creating a myth. When I say a myth, it doesn't mean mythology, but rather something, <clears throat> a narrative, which is beyond the the regular, beyond the normal occurrence of things. So a myth in this context is something that ties our actions to things that happen at the dawn of creation, or the beginning of the world, or even the time before time, as someone uh, referred to it. So in that time, the primordial time, which is the creation of the world, we we know the story of Adam and Hava. And the rabbis say about the story that when the woman, because when they ate from the tree, she was not called Havayat. When the woman convinced Adam to eat from the fruit, she caused him to sin. What she did, <coughs> she shed the blood of the world. She um, destroyed the door, the hala of the world, and she put out the light, the candle of the world. And in order to make up for these th- for those three things, she has now to keep the laws of Nida, <clears throat> to atone for the blood that she shed. She has to do a farshat hala, to atone for ruining the hala of the world, and to light candles, to atone for putting out the light of the world. So this is, in, 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 um, in a way, is a nice idea, and has something positive in it, uh, of course, tied with the story that puts the blame on the woman, but the idea is that our actions, our daily actions or weekly actions, when a woman lights Shabbat candles, if not for the midrash of the rabbis, that would have been an isolated act. Yes, yeah, she does as her mother or grandmother did, but now that the rabbis created this midrash, what they did was to create a chain in time that connects the actions of all the women who light candles from the time of Hava till the time of the coming of Mashiach. Because every woman who light candles atones a little bit for what Hava did and brings us closer to the coming of Mashiach. So that elevates this action from an isolated act of just one woman in her household to something that connects all women across time and space. That is beautiful. However, because the idea of lighting candles and even keeping the laws of Nida um, strictly was not such a common and acceptable idea, the rabbis had to market it with harsh language. And since uh, death at childbirth was very common, and it was also pretty common in, in even in the United States in the beginning of the century, and since the... Um, the curse of uh, pain, birth pangs, and pain during delivery was a result of eating from the tree Etzadat. It was a natural association to say that. But of course, it created a very negative um, attitude towards women in general. Because here, the woman is sacrificing. She's willing to go through the pain of pregnancy and childbirth and to take the risk of dying. And if something happens to her, we say it's her fault. So that again, another Mishnah that we say regularly and has this negative connotation. Um, the following Mishnah, Mishnah Shabbat Bet Zayin. Shlosha devarim tzayich adal mar betoch beto arav Shabbat imachshecha haisarten aravten adliku etanel. The first two are in the question, and the last one is a statement. So. What does that mean? That one must say within his house on Friday uh, around uh, night time. It's not clear exactly in halacha what is hashecha. He says, "Did you did you do ma'asro? Did you separate the ten percent? Iravtem? Did you do aruv tafshirin or aruv hatzerot? Whatever is necessary, and light the candles. Don't forget." The commentators say that you have to say it calmly. And not with anger. That's why he said, Tzarich Adam Lomar Betoch Beto. And not uh, Leochia. Don't rebuke. Say it nicely so people would not 
get scared and uh, maybe light candles after the time have, has passed, just not to upset the Baalabai. But still, what we what we see here is this uh, implicit message that who is the who is the one who's in charge of everything here? It's the man. Is he really in the kitchen? Is he taking care of the ma'asrot? Is he taking care of the awuf of the candles? Uh, but the the Mishnah says Tzarich Adam Lomar Betor Betor Shabbatim Hashicha. It's the man who says it. Um, now we have uh, another set of Mishnayot. I'm not going to go into all of them. That is really uh, unsettling, and that's in uh, chapter five and six of uh, of Masechet Shabbat, which which speak about the laws of Hotzaah. Um, so we're talking about a situation where there's no eruv, and if there's no eruv, there are certain things that you could carry, and others that you could not carry. Those which you could which you could carry are accessories or part of your garments that uh, will remain there no matter what you do, and those which one is not allowed to carry are things that one might remove, usually to show others or they could fall off, etc. So. Uh, the details of the Mishnah are not really important as much as the phrasing, as the language. So, chapter 5 is dedicated to the laws of what can animals carry to Rishut Arabim. Chapter 5 starts with the laws of what a woman can carry, and the uh, and then a man. So we'll see what happens here. The phrasing about animal is, with what may an animal go out, and with what may it not go out? So they say, with a nose ring, with a bit, with a, with a saddle, with a chain, etc. When they speak about a woman, with what may a woman go out, and with what may a woman not go out? And then when we talk about a man, a man should not go out, with a nail-studded sandal. And only after we use the language lo for a man, we use the same language looked at se for a woman, a, a, a woman should not go out with this kind of needle, etc. But the original phrasing is, it's as is, there's a, there's a formula here, with what may an animal go out and with what may not, with what may a woman go out and with what may she not. So it's almost... An equation here, not not to say, God forbid, that the, the rabbis consider the women to be like animals, but just as we saw with Nashim Va'avadim Muktanim, that they put them in a certain group of uh, individuals that we think have no independence or no wisdom of their own, here also it's uh, as if the responsibility of what a woman would wear on Rashut Arabim is similar to that of an of the owner of the animal. The owner of the animal must make sure that the animal does not carry those things, and the husband, who's in uh, quotation mark, is the owner of the woman, should not let her go out uh, with those uh, with those accessories. Um, and besides those two mishnayot that speak about candle lighting and carrying, there's only one more mishnah that speaks about women on Shabbat. And here also, this uh, if you would have. You might say that, you know, the 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 argument I made before of a is a bit far fetched. It's not the original intention of the rabbis. But look at what the Mishnah says in chapter eighteen, Mishnah Gimel, Yudhet Gimel. En miyaledin tabehema biyom tov, aval mesaadin, umiyaledin etayisha beShabbat, mekorin lachachamay mekom lemekom. So one may not birth an animal on a festival, but one may assist it. And one may deliver a woman on Shabbat, and you may call a midwife from one place to another place, even if it's if it's far away. This is really shocking, and the truth must be said. Before I prepared the material for this class, and I said I'm going to go systematically through the Mishnah and see how the Mishnah treats women, I never realized the how this Mishnah stands out. There for two reasons. Uh, one, after we saw that we have the same language, same formula, in chapter 5 and 6, it is startling to see that you have 
אבל מילדים את האישה. You can't help, you can't deliver uh, an animal on, on, on an animal, but you can deliver a woman. But there's another important detail here, which is, I turn it to you. One is on Yom Tov, and the other one is on Shabbat. So why are you mentioning it? Why do I have to say... What? Yeah, it's, it sounds like a Kalva Homer, but uh, why would I bring a Halakha of Yom Tov in Masechet Shabbat? There, there, there are other examples like that, but this one stands here almost as, uh, you know, as I, we said before, there is a certain comparison, not that uh, we want to say that a woman is like an animal, God forbid, right? But to say that there's a, like, there's a, a sort of a, an ownership uh, relationship between the husband and the wife, and it's his responsibility to do certain things. So what he cannot do for his other possessions, the animals on Shabbat, on Yom Tov, he can he do... Assume, yeah. He might assume, he might be able to assume the law about the Isha based on the law of the man, so it's all, uh, of the animal. So the Mishnah has to specify that you can help a woman in labor, because if, it, if it's not in that context, then a man may assume, ah, oh, I can't, I can't uh, birth an uh, an animal on Yom Tov must be the same for a woman. Yeah, true. But still, I mean, I'm saying, when you see the pattern, I'll show you one more Mishnah, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, to see that we have this pattern of mentioning women alongside uh, Behema, uh, which is really, uh, I, I think, uh, unsettling. And this is in the, it's a famous Mishnah in the beginning of Masachat Kiddushin. Um, I'm scrolling down. What? But right? This is the so the first chapter of Masechet Kiddushin reads. Uh, oh, it's not in, the, in our file here. Uh, anyway, the first uh, the first chapter in of Masechet uh, Kiddushin reads: uh, A woman can be acquired in three by in three manners through, uh, and one of them is money, etc. Um, and then uh, you continue reading that chapter. And you realize it's not really about Kiddushin, it's about acquisitions. And the next Mishnah is, Abhema Niknet. Those are the ways in which one can acquire an animal, and these are the ways in which one can acquire slaves, etc. So, um, this, this is in more than one place. Um, but, like I said before, this is a... Uh, you, we could explain each one separately, but when you see them all in context, there's an overall feeling that... Uh, the the women in many in many it, okay in certain instances we have to be careful because the Mishnah even though the whole Mishnah was redacted by Rabbi Yudan Asi um, he uh, compiled anthologies that already existed before him um, okay but so whether it comes from him or from different authors there is a certain pattern in the Mishnah to speak of a woman in a way that is a bit degrading she's not an entity uh, for uh, on 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 her own. She's not independent. She cannot. We cannot do zimun for her, etc. Uh, we see that more strongly in the first Mishnah of chapter uh, eight of Pesachim, Chet Aleph. Haisha, bizman shei bevet baala, shahat alia baala veshahat alia avia, tochal mishel baala. A woman who lives in her husband's home and uh, before Pesach. Oh, sorry, on Pesach, her husband slaughtered an animal for her, thinking that she's going to eat with him, and her father did the same. Tochal Michel Baala, she eats with her husband. But if she went on the first holiday after the after the wedding uh, to celebrate it, to have it in her father's house, and both uh, the father and the husband did. Uh, Korban for her, tochal bimkom shirotza. She can decide who does she want to eat uh, eat with. And so here, there's a there's a uh, we have a more mixed bag because on one hand, we see that uh, that she is under the auspices of either uh, her husband or 
or her uh, or her father, and this this will be more obvious in with Nedarim. Uh, but this is something that's already mentioned in the Torah, uh, with Nedarim. Um, but if uh, on the first festival after marriage that she goes to her father's home, she still has this flexibility that she could decide where she wants to eat. So this is a bit uh, uh, comforting within all the uh, um, all the uh, negativity that we might see uh, elsewhere. Uh, but even that Masechet Pesachim. There's nothing else that speaks about women. Uh, the chapter that speaks about the Agadah, which is chapter 10, all revolves around the men. Yesev, Yaviulo, people should, we should be served, they should be brought, uh, and the woman is not mentioned. Um, another Mishnah, Masechet Yoma, uh, chapter 1, Mishnah 1, Aleph Aleph, Shivat Yamim, Kodem Yom Kipurim, Mafrishin Kohen Gadol Mi Betole Lishkat Palhedrin, so the Kohen must be separated from his wife to remain pure. <coughs> and uh, they also have to uh, appoint another Kohen to take over, to take his place, just in case something happens to him. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Afisha Heret Matkinin Lo, Rabbi Yudah says, he also have to prepare another wife for him, for perhaps his wife will die, and the Torah says he shall atone for himself and his household, and the household is the wife. So, that is, um, like the previous Mishnah that we saw, we could see some negative things and some positive things here. On one hand, we could say, Rabbi Yudah believes that the Kohen is not wholesome, without, uh, if he's not married, right? He's missing something. But on the other hand, to look at the idea that uh, you could just replace one woman with another as if she's nothing more than a, a tool or an accessory for the husband. And even the term matkinin lo, lehatkin, is to to prepare, like you set the table. Okay, you know, we have, this is your replacement. Um, this is a... Uh, I think another uh, subliminal message of, at least according to Rabbi Yudah, of what is the status of a woman. Um, one more Mishnah here in Masechet uh, Sukkah. Women, slaves, and minors are exempt from the Sukkah. A minor who is independent, does not need his mother, uh, is obligated to be in the sukkah. One time, the daughter-in-law of Shammai, the elder, gave birth, and he removed some of the ceiling's plaster, and he made, um, he put schach on top, either on top of that opening in the roof, or on top of the, of the bedposts, to make a sukkah for the minor. Which minor? From the Mishnah, it seems the baby, the newborn baby, and that's probably the meaning. But the Talmud says that it it was for an older boy that was still uh, that was um, independent of his mother, but because um, because of the baby, he clung to her. So uh, they they uh, he puts chach on the for the katan. Um, probably what we read here is as we read the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, "Bishvil Hakatan, the the little one, the little one that we know of, is the one which which is just born." It doesn't make sense to say that the Mishnah refers it to a new to another sibling that we're not we don't know about. Hakatan, the little one, means that it's someone that we are familiar with, meaning the baby. So think according to Shammai, what it what it signifies for the woman. She, the mother who gave birth, is not obligated, but for her newborn baby, we are building a sukkah. That is really something that pushes her out of the realm of of uh, um, of this mitzvah. And it's also interesting because, yeah, it's it's uh, uh, it is explained as mitzvot mitzvot atluyat bazman. It's time dependent mitzvah. But on the other hand, the Torah says teshuvu You have to live in the sukkah the same as you live in a house. So why is a woman not part 
of those living arrangements. So that is a problem um, that we have with with sukkah here. Um, okay. Akol kesherin likodet amegila chutz meharesh shotev katan. Now, this Mishnah that I included here actually doesn't mention women, um, but this is more of a, of a comment on what happens today. We, have a, we had a debate about the reading of the Megillah by men, by women, by women when men are present. The Mishnah says very clearly, Hakol The exemptions are someone who is deaf, and they refer to deaf mute, shote, someone who's uh, not in his right mind or you know uh, intellectually uh, uh, challenged, vekatan and a minor. Uh, so what about women? Clearly, a woman can read the Megillah. So this is a good point. This is a, this is a, a sort of a, a point of light in the Mishnah. However, in later years, the halacha sort of excluded women, uh, and when we, in so many synagogues we have uh, Megillah reading for women, but led by men. And you know, thank God, in the recent generation, we see a uh, we see a new trend of women reading the Megillah, and that's um, that's how it should be. The Mishnah says both for men and women. There's no distinction here. Okay. Um, one last Mishnah here, and then uh, maybe we'll. I think with that, once no, we have you know a couple more Mishnayot of Masechet of Seder Moed. Maybe we'll finish them and we'll leave Masechet Seder Nashim for the next time. Um, so we have this Mishnah also in Megillah, chapter uh, four, Mishnah ten, Dalit Yud, where the Mishnah speaks about the portions of the Torah that you don't translate publicly in Tzibur because they are disrespectful to the protagonists who are mentioned there. Um, so, to me, this is the, the interesting uh, thing, is how the the acts are labeled. Ma'ase Reuven, Ma'ase Tamar, Ma'ase David, Amnon. <clears throat> so um the uh when we speak about Maser Reuven we talk about uh uh Reuven who slept with his uh his uh stepmother we call her or his uh father's wife um Bilha Aviv so it's called Maser Reuven Reuven is the one uh the one responsible Maser Tamar Tamar is the uh, is the one who is mentioned. She's the one who uh, enticed Yehuda. It's not called Maase Yehuda. A recovering for Yehuda in the Mishnah also. I'm not. I don't know. Maase David. Uh, is that David with Bacheva and Amnon? Amnon with Tamar. So um, that is uh, this unclear why why those uh, why those actions in each one of them a man and a woman were involved. Uh, we only have uh, Reuven, David, and Amnon mentioned about the men, and Tamar among the women. Either it's a cover-up for, for Yehuda, or that the rabbis felt that Tamar was the uh, the, the one um, who was active with this, uh, with this thing and not, uh, and not other people. Um, in any case, the next Mishnah, now we switch to this view, Enos uh, in Nashim Bamu'ed, אנוסים <laughs> 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 Why? Because it is a cause of joy 
to him shesimcha he lo, aval mahazir wad degusha. Though one could remarry his divorced wife, um, and then they speak about uh, uh, grooming v'osai shat achshitei b'moed. A woman may adorn uh, herself in the moed. Rabbi Yudah Omer lo tasud mipnei shenivul hula. The translation here is not. Uh, um, not accurate, it's not to chalk as a cosmetic, it's more like about, about hair removal, um, but this discussion of, uh, the second part of discussing whether a woman can or cannot do it, again, it's a discussion that by men, should really be the, the decision of women, whether they uh, want or not want to do it, whether this is the appropriate thing, but uh, the first part is also um, sending a message, Mipnesha simha hilo, as if the man is the only one who is taking part in the uh, in the mu'ad. The idea of not doing simha ba mu'ad is en ma'aravin simha ba simha. You don't mix two types of of uh, uh, celebration together. So why focus on the man? Bipnesh simha hilo simha hila. Is she uh, not happy or uh, is she not obligated to be happy in the mu'ad? That's the uh, that's the message here. Um, in Mishnah. Also, Mu'ad Katan, Perek Gimel, Mishnah Chet Tet, 389, En manihen et amita barachov, Shelo lehargil et ha'esped, Velo shel nashim le'olam, Mipenei ha'kavod, That uh, the, uh, the coffin, Or the gurney, Whatever the, the, the dead is being carried on, Should not uh, be uh, set down, in the in the uh, in the street in the public thoroughfare, not to encourage people to eulogize too much. So you have to move uh, to the betak varot, but there are exceptions um, for a great scholar or others, and uh, there are certain places where you said the uh, where you said the the, the coffin down. nashim uh, but for women. You never put the you know you never put the the mitah down. You just take it directly to the cemetery. There are different expressions in the Talmud, but it seems like the the reason here is that um, it's just uh, uh, not respect for the community to eulogize a woman. She's not important enough uh, for the community to do that. It feels as if uh, eulogizing a woman, if they end up eulogizing her more than they did a man. It will be might be offensive for a man. That I think uh, is the explanation of that statement. Nashim ba muayid me'anot, avalom et apechot. Rabbi Shmuel asamuchod la mitam et apechot. The women during the days of holam muayid, they may uh, they may wail but not clap. Rabbi uh, Shmuel says those who are near the 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 mita near the coffin could do it. <coughs> That's just interesting. It's not about women's status as much as it's about how the halakha has changed. In the past, women used to uh, ululate and sing songs of uh, of uh, joy. Uh, uh, where were we in the Mishnah? Let's go back uh, the Mishnah here. Um, it's just interesting, you know, that in the community, in the Syrian community, women are not allowed to go to the Veta Kvarot, right? But in the in the past... Not only the women went, they led the the uh, entourage sometimes. They were ahead of the mitah, wailing and, and singing special songs that caused, uh, caused people to uh, to cry. They would uh, entice them to cry. Um, finally, that's maybe the last Mishnah for today. It's a last, in Mishnah in Mu'ed, and the next set is from uh, Seder Nashim. Mishnah, the first Mishnah in Masechet Hagiga. הכל חייבים בראייה, חוץ מחרש, שוטה וקטן, וטומטום, ואנדרוגינוז, ונשים, ועבדים שנה משוחררים, החיגר והסומה והחולה והזקן, ומי שלא יכול לעוד ברגליו. That's a long list of exemptions. Say, everybody is obligated to see the Temple Mount. That is referring directly to the commandments of the Torah. שלוש פעמים בשנה יראה כל זכורך את פני האדון השם צבאות. Three times a year, all your male household should see uh, the fa- the sort of be seen in front of Hashem, so we exclude people who have no uh, knowledge. Heresh otev katan, a deaf, a shote, and a and a minor, tumtum veandroginos veNashim, and those who cannot be clearly uh, 
defined as men. So the Things the are non-binary. Binary, right? The non-binary, uh, uh, what is called transgender, or uh, the different definitions for that. Venashim and women, they're being uh, put here after tumtum v'andolginos. Va'avadim shanam shacharim. So the women now are included within this whole group. It's true that this exclusion is not uh, not necessarily mishneik. It's already in in uh, in the in the Torah. That uh, and in general we feel like women were excluded from the Beit Hamikdash, but maybe, just maybe, in the um, uh, that's my interpretation. You know, trying to understand that because this is, after all, this divine law. Maybe in the the insistent on the zechurcha and on on males coming to the temple uh, was to make it a ritual, but to tell men really that uh, you know you come three times a year. Um, in set times, you're going to come, you know you are going to go to the temple and uh, and do the rituals. But the rest of the year, where is the kedusha? The kedusha is in the household. Maybe that's one uh, one interpretation of maybe why women are not included in this uh, in this obligation. However, I think we've seen that um, in our first discussion, we went through some uh, some of the. Uh, um, the important women in Tanakh, there are many more that we didn't look at, but it seems like that in the Mishnah, there is a uh, a trend of sort of pushing women aside. They are mentioned less, even in Halachot that could have related to them, they are mentioned only to say where they are excluded and there is some kind of a derogatory uh, language which is a problem. And this is something that we have to have in mind when we study the Mishnayot, as Lauren pointed out last time, and this time also, that when our children, boys and girls, study this material, what is the the concept that they have about women's role in society and their responsibility? And that is something that has to be addressed, either with halachot that, when necessary, can be changed or adjusted, like that of Birkot HaShahar or Zimun. Um, it, it doesn't say that, you know, Enan Hayavot Bezimun. I think that... Uh, Knowing what we know of women's independence and wisdom, women should be included in Zimun. Uh, <clears throat> or, if not that, at least in the way that those Mishnayot are taught and presented, to explain that they come from a certain context and to find ways uh, to balance it. That is important. But we'll continue with Hashem next week with uh, the Mishnayot uh, in Masechet, in Seder Nashim. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.